So as Andrew introduced us last week, we are spending a few weeks in the book of Philemon. Now one of our elders shocked me this morning because he said he didn't know that book existed in the Bible. But that was Luis, and he knew the book Philemon. So if you speak Portuguese or Spanish and you knew it as Philemon, it's the same book. We call it Philemon, who knows why. Luis, you're still one of the, you're still in. That's okay. So let me read the letter to you. It's short, and we're just wanting to eke some lessons from it for these few weeks. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, even though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I would rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consents, I didn't want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me even your very own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare a lodging for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Such a lovely letter, isn't it? And it's just full of emotion, um, tenderness, and we receive it now thousands of years later, and it still gets our hearts a little bit, like, you know, the tenderness between Paul, um, this runaway or whatever state the slave um, relationship is on this young man, and Philemon, um, Paul's good friend. Back um, several years ago in our church, um, 
we had a lot of different uh, nations of origin. Um, we had more than 50 nations of origin in one congregation. And one of the things that we loved to do was have a potluck when everybody brought something from their own culture, from their own place of origin, a favorite dish. And I remember a sweet little lady um, who is, was a good friend. In one of these meetings, or these, these suppers, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Ian, I've tasted your baby food. That's because I brought mashed potatoes. And, and that's Irish. Potatoes, that's all you need. Potatoes and Guinness, and you're good for, for life, right? So she said, I've tasted your baby food, so I brought you a curry. She presented me with something that was probably on the other end of the continuum of spice from my mashed potatoes. What I want to talk about this morning is um, the implications in this letter of what we bring to the table, like what we bring to the meal. Um, why is what we bring unique to us? How do we receive what is unique to others? And how does it actually contribute to this smorgasbord of delight as we um, live in community as followers of Christ. So I, I want to be fairly short and, and quick on this so that you don't get bored. But the theme of this section, and I think we're going by Mary's um, detailed uh, exegesis and study, so Mary will close this short series off. So if Andrew or if I mess up, not sh Mary will come and tell you what she studied and what it means and what you should just dismiss from what we said and pay attention. Anyway, in her outline, um, this approach to the letter is talking about the fact that believers meet one another's needs. And that's the idea of what we bring to the table. We meet one another's needs by what we bring to the table. And so as that gets fleshed out in the letter, we realize that Onesimus has met Paul's needs. So somehow or other, they got connected while Paul was imprisoned. And here is this former slave who perhaps comes to, to know Christ through Paul or before he meets Paul. But at any rate, he then gives himself to taking care of Paul. And Paul, by what we hear in this letter and by what we understand, was by now an old man. He's probably a bit sickly. He hopes beyond hope to carry on and keep doing things. And yet maybe in the back of his mind, he's not so sure um, that his days aren't numbered. And so here's this slave, or this former slave, who then commits himself to look after Paul's needs. So that's one direction in which we meet one another's needs. Paul met Philemon's needs. Um, I love his letter to Philemon. I love especially the little line that he can't resist, which is to say, I'm asking you for something. I know it's blah, blah, blah. But by the way, you owe me your very life. Like, no pressure at all, right? Although, but you owe me your very life. I'm sure you're going to do what I want you to do. Paul has met Philemon's needs. How or when, we're not very sure. Um, but Philemon and Philemon's growth in Christ is due to Paul's influence in his life. 
then Paul says, I'm, I'm going to take care of Onesimus' needs. I don't know um, what the situation was. I don't know what he did. Did he steal something? But whatever he has done, I'll pay for it. Uh, I'll, I will take on his debts. And then he goes farther and says, now Philemon, I want you to, to take on Onesimus' needs. So in, in, in three persons' partnerships, um, we find that, that this is a letter about them taking care of one another's needs. And I want to just draw us to think about how it is that we meet one another's needs. What are the dynamics of meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ? There's, um, and, and there needs to be not just a nice feeling about this, not just a, yeah, that would be good, but um, there needs to be a robust theology uh, behind this that says not only would it be nice if we could meet one another's needs, but it actually is incumbent upon us if we are followers of Christ. It's our job to meet one another's needs. We have to. Now, we will want to. But we also should understand that, that that's what we ought to do, what we have been called to do. Um, there's a wonderful letter or a wonderful book um, on the book of Ephesians called God's New Society by John Stott. And in that, he just develops how the whole book of Ephesians is a description of the new society that God is creating and has created in Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, notably, um, we find that we are called into a whole new understanding of who we are and who we are together. So theologically, we discover that we have become now part of a new society. Um, we are in the middle of the fallen society of which we are and we're part, but we are an emerging new society. With the theology of the coming kingdom of God, that's even even more strengthened, um, that we understand that we are becoming a new community, a new society, towards a whole new world order. That what God wants, we are beginning to be part of realizing and experiencing. So the theology behind meeting one another's needs is not just pragmatic, but it's a robust theology that says we are already something that we didn't used to be. Um, we may used to have been just good friends, helpful friends, nice people. And we ought to be careful about the, um, the dualistic thinking of us and them that I grew up with, which was, um, as far as I could tell, we were the good ones and everyone else is bad. I don't know why they were bad, but apparently they were bad because they didn't go to church. I think there are other reasons that could be playing into that. But So um, how then do we practice our one anotherness? How do we practice the theology of being a new society, a new kind of a community towards a new world order? Well, as we go through the New Testament, we're given all kinds of fodder about how we contribute to one another, what we bring to the smorgasbord, whether it's curry or mashed potatoes. And some of the lists are just pretty plain and obvious. Um, we're told about spiritual gifts. 
that we all have received at least one spiritual gift. And I've had people come and say to me, I defy you to help me discover my spiritual gift. I don't think I have any. And I will say, well, then you're arguing with the Bible, and you must have one. Let's keep looking for it. Let's keep looking for it. And they'll often come back and say, well, I guess maybe I only have the gift of helps then. And I go, well, that is exciting because that's one of the most wonderful gifts that you can bring to the table. And go, oh, how? Apept is something that we have talked about before. Um, they are like the five trades um, using the gifts. So there's the trade of apostleship, of prophet, of evangelist, of pastor, and of teacher. And we've suggested that all of us um, have one of those as kind of the trade um, that we have been given to, to work out. Either apostleship, you're someone who can start things. Prophecy, you're a person who knows things, scares the rest of us. Evangelists, you're those who are the salespeople who go out on the street like Luis and tell people things. And then there are those who are the teachers, those who want to understand and want to communicate the truths of our Christian faith. Well, beyond that, we also have abilities that we've been given. Um, we have personalities. What do you bring to, to the smorgasbord? Well, you bring your personality. You bring Gabriel's enthusiasm to a week of camp, right? You bring who you are. You don't leave who you are outside the door and say, well, in church, you know, you, you don't do this or you don't do that. In church, you do whatever you did before you came here. You, you have a personality um, that God has gifted you with and that is a delight to all the rest of us. And they're different, all these personalities. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us are introverted, and we have lots of fun discussing what it means to be you instead of being me. I am an introvert. I behave like a, an extrovert. Um, Andrew is like over the top. <laughs> introvert. <laughs> Beyond that, we have skills. Um, we have things that we are able to do. So what I want to simply bring us to is to ask the question, as you think about who you are and you rest and hang on to this theology of being part of a new community, what do you bring to that new community? And how can you bring who you are, what you are, in the way that Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus um, could be three different kinds of people with three different sets of skills, and they could be called on to serve each other's needs. We're called on to serve one another's needs. I want to talk for a few minutes about life stations and why that is something that we should talk about bringing to the table. Um, and also the professions that we're part of and the spheres of influence that we're part of. Um, over the years, I've worked in several churches with ways that we can um, be a, a very diverse community of people happily coexisting, in fact, delightfully coexisting. So as I bring to people the question of, well, who are you? What, what do you bring to, to the potluck or to the smorgasbord? One of the things that you bring is your profession. 
And back in a church in Toronto that was a very professional church, um, we worked on, well, what would that mean? Because people will tend to say, well, you know, I'm a lawyer, but when I come to church, it's like I, I leave my law practice at home or something like that. So we had several lawyers and several doctors and several teachers and several accountants. And we, we convened a meeting when they decided to do something in the sense of bringing something to the table. And to a person, they offered their professional expertise to mentor young students because we had a lot of U of T students and various graduate students, law students, medical students. And it was a delight um, to see person-to-person connections made and people who told me later they had come to church for years but didn't know what their part was in being there at church. And now I would see them, um, a lawyer practicing with a, an articling law student sitting at a table after church and talking about how the professional could give a leg up to the student. It was delightful. And to this day, I can track the success of many professional students who were mentored by these mature Christian lawyers and doctors and teachers and the various other things like that. In another church... Um, we had a strong commitment to new Canadians. And so we had people who brought their skills and said, I'm, I am willing to show up every Tuesday or something like that in that part of our building, and I will do ESL. I'll do English coaching with anybody you want to bring along. And as we do those sorts of things we begin to discover that, oh my goodness, this idea that we are a new society is really true. That we are forming um, people professionally who are in the character of Christ. That we are welcoming Canadians, new Canadians, in a way that shows them the love of a Christian community, the way that um, grows them and guides them into their participation in, in this lovely country. What do you bring? Um, sometimes people will say to me, well, I'm, I'm just not sure what I can do or when I can do it. Let me make one very simple suggestion. If there's something that you identify on this list of who and what you are, and you're able to say, you know what, I would be willing to give you X. Maybe it's a number of hours. Maybe it's just a one-time opportunity. But if you say, I have this skill, or I have this interest, or I have this hobby, if you could ever use that in the community of Southside, particularly as we welcome people in, as we welcome people towards Christ, just tell us that you would like to offer this. And we would be delighted to be able to sort of pass that along as years go by. And it's a slow, lovely, gentle process. But let's, let's give the, the essence of who we are to everyone else and say, do you need help? I could do that. And when I bring my mashed potatoes, some of you will love them. When my friend brings her curry, some of you would love that. We bring different things. Some people will need different things from one another. In this community... We are called theologically, truly, to be one.
to say, if you have needs, we need to meet those needs. We want to meet those needs. What can I do? Um, I talk to various people sometimes um, who have skills. So if you're an electrician, I feel really sorry for you because you will be used. So we're not trying to get at this. If you're an electrician and somebody says, I just have a little bit of wiring to do, you go, I know what that means. It means two days of work and a six-pack and thanks. Right? That's not, what we're, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for honest to goodness. We are different people with different skills, and we are on level ground as we bring those skills and we say, let God use them um, for his purposes and, and for his grace. Now, why do we say, okay, you get special attention? Here's a verse that I think um, validates that we say, we start, first of all, by saying, are there needs here that we can meet before we go anywhere else? Now, we do need to go everywhere else, but it starts here. Paul in Galatians says, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. Do good to everyone. I, I love that. And that is an, a general, natural, um, good idea. When we moved into a house in Vancouver, um, the first person who came to knock on our door was a guy called Ming, a person of Japanese um, background. And he said, I'm Ming. Um, my garden shed doesn't have a lock on it. Anytime you want anything, just come and borrow it. And I thought, oh my goodness. I'm not sure I would do that. I'm saying, my garden shed has a lock on it. <laughs> but I thought, that's lovely. But beyond that, Paul says, especially to those in the household of faith, there is something about the fact that we are brothers and sisters. When you meet someone and in the conversation you discover that that's a person of faith, isn't there something that just sparks in your heart and you say, that's, that's so delightful because now I know that we are brothers, we are sisters, and we'll be able to fellowship at a different level. We will be friends and proper friends and loving friends and sacrificial friends to everyone. But discovering that this is a brother or a sister that I'm talking to is a wonderful thing. And Paul says, yes, to those who are of the household of faith, especially do good to them. Um, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren movement, and it has its foibles. But the one thing that has been a strength of that movement is that men in the Brethren churches that I grew up in discipled young men and discipled young men into their professions, into their jobs, into their families, into their lives. And it was a wonderful thing so that, I mean, it, it's a unique little culture of people. Um, my grandmother, when she saw ladies with hats on in their cars, said they're probably going to the Easter conference. That was her world. The Brethren Easter Conference, if you're wearing a hat, that, you must be going there. And it was like, they didn't know anyone else existed in the world. But they did some very beautiful things, very Christian things, very um, New Testament things in the way that they cared especially for those of the household of faith. Several years ago, um, I had the chance 
for a week to be on a plantation in South Carolina. And now it's kind of surreal as I think back to it. It was near Charleston, South Carolina. It was a 100-acre um, plantation. And on that plantation, there was um, a plantation house, like the ones you see on movies and all the rest, with verandas all around and gorgeous, huge houses. This was a, a retired um, real estate mogul from Atlanta, Georgia. He, he literally bought a plantation house and barged it down the intercoastal to this plantation where he had the house re-erected. And the plantation was just as though it were hundreds of years ago. It was a delightful place. Um, he had a thousand head of deer that he put there to kill. It, it was surreal, as they, they say. He had a room in his house that was full of guns. And the fellows I was with, somebody said, how many of these guns have you shot? And he said, well, all of them. And you think, well, guns. And it was, it was like that kind of Christianity that nowadays we're looking at and saying, oh, my goodness. But anyway, so there we, there we were. And it was a delightful place. And to, to my confusion, and I was the only Canadian there, and I wondered if the Americans had the same sort of sensibilities. Um, the, the person that worked this plantation um, was, was a, a black man, and the, the person that I'm referring to was not. He was, he was very white. But all week long we saw this black man who was busy working all through the plantation. And the affect was what you would expect. I mean, he would come in with hat in hand, like so, and he would call, you know, our host his boss. And, and it was just strange because this, our host uh, had become a follower of Christ. And um, his life was being radically changed. But I was thinking, well, but how do you, how do you explain this? Don't we understand that we don't live this way anymore? Um, but nonetheless, here, here was his, his person. Uh, and, and towards the end of the week, um, our host said, I think you've all seen, I think his name is Titus, working around the plantation. I'd like you to meet him. He's my, he's my hired man. So he brought Titus in. And he introduced Titus and said, he, he said, um, Titus is my best friend in this world. Um, Titus's father ran this plantation before him. Um, and so planta Titus runs the plantation for me. And I'm thinking, it's, it's still making me feel uncomfortable. And then he put his arm around Titus and he said, and Titus and I are both deacons at the Baptist church down the street. And he teared up in saying that. And I thought, there it is. So there's the New Testament theology in, in, in a snapshot. Um, Titus loved working that plantation. He lived for it. As I understood and watched um, our host, he did not treat him as someone beneath him by any means. He welcomed him into everything that was part of his life. And to boot, this multimillionaire with this probably rather poor worker sat at a table at the Baptist church, and they said, it doesn't matter where we come from. 
we care for one another. We take care of one another, and it's all good. What are you bringing to the smorgasbord? I'll keep bringing my mashed potatoes, but I'm hoping for some curry, and I hope you bring it. All right.